For the first time, a new poll is showing that Bernie Sanders has surged past Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire. So this is from Franklin Pierce University and the Boston Herald. Now, here's a cover of um, the headlines for that. How awesome is that? So according to this new poll, Bernie Sanders is now seven points ahead of Hillary. He's sitting at 44 points, while Hillary is now at 37 points. Now, the sample size is 442 people. It seems really small, but that, that's actually higher than a lot of other polls um, that have been conducted in New Hampshire. So the margin of error is 4.7%, which is great. As long as it's under 5%, preferably not more than 10%, then it's pretty accurate and typically uh, representative of the general population. Now, when you contrast this with March, Hillary was polling at 44 points then, while Bernie was only at 8 points. Now, this is from the same company, so he's made tremendous gains. Now, he's also drawn insane crowds, if you guys have been paying attention. He drew a crowd of 15,000 in Washington. He drew a crowd, his biggest yet, of 28,000 in Portland, Oregon. And he drew another crowd the next day of 27,500 in Los Angeles. So his campaign is picking up tremendous momentum. Now, I'm going to read some comments from political pundits. Um, now, I want you to think about them, and um, I'll give you some insight on them. So first and foremost, from William Crystal says, quote, he is not going to beat Hillary Clinton in a single Democratic primary. I'll predict that right now. Uh, from Joe Scarborough. His shot at the top will be short-lived. Hillary Inc. will grind up and spit out any Democratic challenger that gets in its way. Uh, from Rush Limbaugh. He has shown he cannot get the votes Democrats need to win. Blue-collar working-class people. He can get effet snobs. He can get wealthy academics. He can get the young and he can get the black vote, but Democrats do not win with that. He will lose big. Now, these quotes weren't about Bernie Sanders. They were about Barack Obama in 2007 and 2008. But as you all remember correctly, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was Barack Obama who went on to beat Hillary Clinton and become the president of the U.S., not just in 2008, but in 2012 as well when he was reelected. So I really want an apology from all the political pundits who did the same thing to Bernie Sanders. When he first started running, Katie Couric was asking him, well, would you be Hillary Clinton's vice president? And Bernie's response was, would she be my vice president? Look, we're seeing the same thing over and over again. In a lot of instances, Bernie Sanders is drawing larger crowds than Barack Obama did um, in 2007. So this is getting really interesting. Now, here's the deal. We all need to not become complacent because it's not over yet, okay? Polls more generally are not very reliable, so we have to really look more at the aggregate polling data in order to see what all of them say because they're a lot more reliable at that level. But this doesn't necessarily mean um, that this poll is not accurate. It could be signaling a new trend, uh, but we don't know for sure. So um, just to give you guys a little bit of a sobering look. But again, that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate because this is huge. And I think that it's going to signal the start of a new trend because all the polls have really been in line with each other. And a lot of them currently, besides this particular poll, they show that Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are in a statistical tie. So again, I'm curious to know... Um, or to see when other polls are going to start showing him ahead of Hillary Clinton. Um, but look, this is great news, and it's a sign that what he's doing is working, and he needs to keep it up.
So Bernie Sanders recently unveiled a comprehensive plan to end institutional racism, namely police brutality. Now, if you followed Bernie Sanders for a while like I have, you'll know that he actually already stated his support for almost all of these policies. But thankfully, he's put it all up on his website to make it really easy, really concise. So that way you could just go to it and know exactly where he stands. So now he cites four types of institutional racism that he wants to end. So first and foremost, he discusses physical violence perpetuated by both the state and individuals. Uh, he discusses political violence, including political disenfranchisement, which is extremely important when it comes to race in the U.S., um, he also cites legal violence and economic violence. So I'll go over each of those four points. Um, but first and foremost, I'm going to address the physical violence issue and his plan to stop that, um, particularly against African-Americans, but also Native Americans, who are also targets of police brutality and uh, state-sanctioned violence. Now, first and foremost, he says he wants to demilitarize police forces. He wants to increase civilian oversight of police departments and invest in community policing. He says we need police forces that reflect the diversity of our communities. He wants to establish a federal training program for police officers. He wants to federally fund and require body cameras for all police officers. Uh, the Justice Department, he says, must investigate and prosecute police officers who break the law and hold them accountable. He also wants to require police departments and the state to provide public reports of all shootings and deaths that take place while in police custody. Now, this is important because if you guys all know, there are five African-American women in just the month of July alone that died in police custody. So he's trying to tackle that as well. He also wants to implement new rules on the allowable use of force. Police officers need to be trained to de-escalate confrontations. Now, I've been saying this all along, so I'm glad that he touched on that as well. He wants to cut funding for states and localities where excessive use of force is a problem. So we're looking at you, Ferguson. He wants to expand federal funding to crack down on the illegal activities of hate groups. Now, as you all know, um, the KKK, other types of white supremacist hate groups, they've become very vocal lately. And with the whole Charleston incident with the Dylan Roof shooter, we know that it's not just the state that targets African-Americans. So he's really going at it from all angles, both the individual and state perspective, to stop and ameliorate violence against African-Americans. So now when it comes to his second point, which is uh, political violence, this is his plan. So he wants to re-enfranchise more than 2 million African-Americans who have had their voting right taken away by a felony conviction. Now he says Congress must restore the Voting Rights Act's um, pre-clearance provision, which extended protections to minority voters in states where they were clearly needed. Now, as you know, in 2013, the Supreme Court stripped the Voting Rights Act of this provision and basically made it not too useful anymore. So he wants to restore that. And this is great. I'm glad he's touching on it. Now, he says we must expand the act's scope so that every American, regardless of skin color or national origin, is available to vote freely. Now, he says that we need to make Election Day a federal holiday to increase voters' ability to participate. This is another fantastic point. We must make early voting an option for voters who work or study and need the flexibility to vote on evenings or weekends. He says we must make no-fault absentee ballots an option for all Americans. He says every American over 18 must be registered to vote automatically so that students and working people can make their voices heard at the ballot box. He also says we must put an end to discriminatory laws and the purging of minority community names from voting rolls. A lot of people don't even know this is happening, but it's a very large problem. He says we need to make sure that there are sufficient polling places and poll workers to prevent long lines from forming at the polls anywhere. So again, really great points. 
So now when it comes to his third point, he wants to end legal racism and violence. So to do that, he wants to ban for-profit prisons. So that way these these um, institutions don't have an incentive to lock people up and keep them there. So now he wants to turn back the war on drugs and eliminate mandatory minimums. Now this is huge. He wants to invest in drug courts and medical and mental health interventions for people with substance abuse problems so that they do not end up in prison. They end up in treatment. Now, this is a sane policy. If you're against this, then I don't know what to say. So now he says that we need to boost investments for programs that help people who have gone to jail rebuild their lives with education and job training. So now the fourth type of racism is economic racism and violence. Now, Bernie wants to make all public universities tuition free. He wants to invest $5.5 billion in a federally funded youth employment program. He wants to establish pay equity for women. Now, a lot of people will kind of um, they'll pressure Bernie for kind of perpetuating the wage gap myth. Now, it is the case that the 77 cent or 78 cent uh, wage gap, that's a little bit misleading, but there are still studies that show that there is about a five uh, four to five percent um gap between men and women's wages but i mean i think that if you establish pay equity with legislation it's not going to be harmful so that way if there are even these select few cases where um men make more than women due to discrimination well i think that we should eliminate that anyway so that's what he wants to do establish pay equity um he also wants to ban employment discrimination based on criminal history which is excellent now he wants to also ensure access to affordable child care for working families so the last set of issues, they may seem kind of um, not necessarily relevant to the issue of institutional racism, specifically against African-Americans, but all of these issues disproportionately impact the African-American community as well as Latino communities. So it absolutely makes sense that he includes this in his plan to fight these four types of institutional racism. Now, I think that the plan is absolutely fantastic it's comprehensive he doesn't gloss over the nuances and you can really tell that he did his homework there's been input from a lot of different people and that this is a really comprehensive plan so i really want to applaud bernie sanders for this because um institutional racism it's it's so difficult a lot of people just picture it um coming in the form of police brutality and state sanctioned violence but really it's multifaceted and i mean there's there's uh, legal discrimination economic discrimination so i think that tackling it from these four standpoints is absolutely brilliant and really innovative and i really hope that this challenges other candidates such as hillary clinton and even the republicans 80 different ceos penned an article in wall street journal calling for austerity spending cuts in order to shrink the deficit now i don't know how they had the audacity to do this but Bernie Sanders decided to call them out on their hypocrisy. He writes, There really is no shame. The Wall Street leaders whose recklessness and illegal behavior caused this terrible recession are now lecturing the American people on the need for courage to deal with the nation's finances and deficit crisis. Before telling us why we should cut Social Security, Medicare, and other vitally important programs, these CEOs might want to take a hard look at their responsibility for causing the deficit and this terrible recession. Our Wall Street friends might also want to show some courage of their own by suggesting that the wealthiest people in this country, like them, Start paying their fair share of taxes. They might work to end the outrageous corporate loopholes, tax havens, and outsourcing provisions that their lobbyists have littered throughout the tax code, contributing greatly to our deficit. Now, what he then did next was amazing. He called out 18 CEOs by their name, and he shamed them individually. 
and um, discussed how they're screwing over the American people. So now here's some of the more noteworthy CEOs that he called out. Uh, Bank of America's CEO, Brian Manahan. Goldman Sachs' CEO, Lloyd Bankfein, or Blankfein. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, J.B. Diamond. Verizon CEO, Lowell McAdam. Boeing's CEO, James McNerney Jr. Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer. Now, he's not necessarily guilty himself, but Microsoft, um, they do actually have money overseas as well. Uh, Honeywell International CEO, David Cote. Corning CEO, Wendell Weeks. And Time Warner CEO, Glenn Britt. Kudos to that one. I wish you would have called out the Comcast CEO as well because Time Warner and Comcast, I think those have to be the most hated companies in the country besides maybe uh, Nestle and besides Shell, but they're actually a British company. But anyways, for each of them, as I stated, um, he said how they're specifically abusing the system. So for example, he says that Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan paid $0 in taxes in 2010, yet he got a $1.9 billion tax refund and if offshore bank havens were eliminated, we could have recovered $2.6 billion from Bank of America alone. That's huge. Now, Verizon CEO Lowell McAdam paid $0 in federal taxes, but he got a $705 million tax refund. Time Warner CEO paid $0 in taxes in 2008, but got a $74 million tax refund. So you get the picture. I won't go over all of them. You can see how these individuals are favored more than the American people. We all pay a lot of, in taxes, but not very many of us get that $100 million tax refund or hundreds of millions of dollars of tax refund and even a billion in tax refunds, as was the case with Bank of America CEO. So here's what I love about Bernie Sanders. These are the individuals who other politicians have to bribe. They have to kiss their ass and they have to make it seem as though they're the victims, even though they ruined our economy. For example, Hillary Clinton was paid $400,000 to speak at two Goldman Sachs events. And she said something along the lines of that banks are getting a bad rap. <laughs> well, of course they're getting a bad rap. They sent us into the Great Recession. Is that not worthy of giving them a bad rap? If it, is, if it isn't, then I don't know what is. Um, but anyways, Bernie Sanders doesn't care. He's not like these other politicians. He can give them the middle finger and the American people applaud him for it. Now, we haven't had a politician like Bernie Sanders since 1936. Now, I'm going to play a speech from FDR. Now, I want you to listen and see who FDR sounds like. For nearly four years now, you have had an administration which instead of twirling its thumbs, has rolled up its sleeves. And I can assure you that we will keep our sleeves rolled up. We had to struggle with the old enemies of peace, business and financial monopoly, Speculation, reckless banking, class antagonism, sectionalism, war profiteering. They had begun to consider the government of the United States as a mere appendage to their own affairs. And we know now that government by organized money is just as dangerous as government by organized mob.
Never before in all our history have these forces been so united against one candidate as they stand today. They are unanimous in their hate for me, and I welcome their hatred. He said, I welcome their hatred. Look, it's official. Bernie Sanders is FDR 2.0. And I say 2.0 because he's new and improved and he's better than FDR. So this is really astounding. What we're seeing is something that's so unique, so unorthodox in our political system that you can't help but get excited about it. At the Christian Science Monitor press breakfast, Bernie Sanders elaborated a little bit more on his spiritual beliefs. So he says he's proud to be Jewish, but he explains that he's not particularly religious. Quote, he says, I'm not particularly religious. So that's all we know. It doesn't mean that um, he necessarily doesn't believe in God. Um, that's probably not the case. But at a minimum, we at least know that he's 100% secular. And that's fantastic. That's that's a good thing because we want a president who is now going to base his uh, policy off of um, his religion. George Bush is the prime example um, that really shows us that you don't want a candidate who's going to base his or her beliefs off of the Bible or off of religion. He said that uh, it was God that influenced him to invade Iraq. Mm -mm. We can't have that. We can't have that for obvious reasons. So I'm glad that Bernie Sanders is coming out and saying that he's not particularly uh, religious. And this is good because atheists and the secular community, they're the most underrepresented community in the United States. Does anyone know, um, any of my viewers, do you know how much congressmen and women represent atheists or who are actually just an atheist? I'll give you the number. It's zero. None. Not a single one. But here's the caveat to this. If Bernie Sanders is in fact a non-believer, well, it may be smart for him not to directly say that because 40% of the country contends that they would not vote for an atheist president according to Gallup. Now, here's that actual poll. So atheists up until recently were considered the most unelectable group in the country for a very long time. However, socialists have now overtaken atheists, and they're now the most unelectable group, as 50% of the country contends that they would not vote for a socialist candidate. However, a different poll shows that 47% of Americans would vote for a socialist. So, one problem is that Bernie Sanders is often attributed the label of a socialist when technically he's more of a social democrat. Now, the problem with the word socialist in general is that it's, it's very vague, because it's more of a spectrum. I mean, we already have socialism in this country. One program that's a fantastic example of that is Medicare. So now, look, the good news is that with respect to Bernie Sanders, um, he does identify as Jewish, which is good because only 7% of the country say that they will not vote for a Jewish president. So what's the takeaway here? What am I getting at? Look, this is just another example wherein Bernie Sanders is being 100% honest. We already know that a majority of the country, I think 70%, is Christian. But he's not trying to pander to them. He's trying to win based off the substance of his policies. You see, if you don't have any substantive policies that you're trying to propose, then you've got to pander. You've got to say, look, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. This is why you should vote for me. But Bernie Sanders doesn't have to do that because what he's doing is something that's principled. He's saying, look, this is why you should vote for me because I want to get money out of politics. I want free universal health care. I think that institutional racism should be stopped. A lot of people in the country, they don't vote based on that. Unfortunately, that's just a sad reality. So now, this indicates that Bernie Sanders is a member of the secular community. Um, so 
this is a win that the AAAD community, which is the atheist, anti-theist, a-religious, and agnostic and deist community, um, this is a win for them because they have a candidate that's actually, at a minimum, not going to try to destroy their rights and erode their rights. Because as we've seen, a lot of these candidates, even Barack Obama, one of the first things that he did was he um, he said that uh, he already authorized the National Prayer Day, which is a brazen violation of the First Amendment. But I mean, nonetheless, he's doing this so that way he can pander to voters and pander to people who may potentially be on the fence about him, but he wants to bring them in. So I like that Bernie Sanders is doing this. It just shows that he's brutally honest and he's not going to lie about his position on anything. At most, he won't give us really a straight answer when it comes to marijuana, for example, but he's indicated that he's in favor of at least decriminalizing marijuana, but he hasn't like explicitly and unequivocally stated that, look, I want marijuana to be legalized. But I don't think this is because he's trying to pull a Hillary Clinton and dodge the question. I think it's because he's genuinely mulling it over in his mind. And this is the candidate that you want to do that. You want them to think through these issues. You want them to think about the nuances. You want them to balance the pros and cons. Now, if Bernie Sanders' other policies um, are any indication, he's going to come out on the right side with respect to marijuana. So, again, Bernie Sanders is showing why he's such a fantastic principled candidate. Simone Sanders, chair of the National Coalition on Juvenile Justice, has just joined Bernie Sanders' campaign as his press secretary. So now here's a clip of her introducing Bernie at the Portland rally. My name is Simone Sanders. And I have the privilege of serving as the chair of the Coalition for Juvenile Justice's National Youth Committee. And I am also joining the campaign this week as the National Press Secretary. Tonight, I have the pleasure of serving as your MC. Now, I have, I have some good information that says there, there might be a little disruption tonight. There's a potential for a little disruption. So, I want to be very clear. This campaign is about bringing people together. We hope there's not a disruption, but if there happens to be a disruption tonight, I want everyone in this stadium to respond with a chant. Can y'all do that for me? Can you do that for me? Okay, let me tell you what the chant is. We gotta be on one accord. I want you to respond with a chant. We stand together. Let's practice. All right, so in the event that there is a disruption, that is our response. I love how you can tell that Bernie Sanders is so short that she has to like hunch over just to get on his level. <laughs> I think that's funny. But uh, anyways, the first thing that you notice is the energy that she brings, obviously. She described herself as an MC, and I think that that's important because anyone who doesn't want to listen to Bernie Sanders because he's just an old white man, well, you'll see that he has this young individual who has a lot of spunk and a lot of energy. So you will want to listen to her. So a couple of facts about her. She was an activist back in her teen years when she worked with Girls Inc. to um, instill self-confidence in young women, which that's a very commendable cause. She also previously worked for Ralph Nader, um, and she has also been in contact with Bernie Sanders for about three weeks before she was hired. So 
I think that this is going to be great for Bernie Sanders' campaign. I think she's a tremendous asset. I mean, she has the energy. Uh, she's young. She has spunk. And I think that she can really um, add a lot of energy to his campaign. And I really love her. You saw that she's a fantastic um, introducer of the campaign. She was able to really get the audience hyped up. But, I mean, they were already probably energized because they were going to get to see Bernie Sanders speak. But, again, I just love um, I love that he chose her. I'm glad that he snatched her up before any other candidate was able to. Uh, I think this is a great thing for his campaign. On August 11th, Roseanne DeMauro, the executive director of the National Nurses United Union, which is the largest for American nurses in America, announced that the union is going to be officially endorsing Bernie Sanders' campaign. Now, if you don't know about this union, they have 185,000 members, so they've got a lot of clout, and this is a really huge endorsement for Bernie Sanders. Now, the reason why they say they endorsed Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton was primarily her unwillingness to, to commit to a position on the Keystone XL pipeline and the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, as you all know, if you've been following Bernie Sanders or if you've been watching the Humanist Report, I've covered the fact that he's unequivocally condemned both of them. While Hillary Clinton, she just can't even give a straight answer on it. She can't. She just can't answer questions. We've learned that about her. Now, interestingly enough, they actually also backed Barack Obama in 2008. And much like Bernie Sanders, Obama was not the pick from the establishment. They didn't want him to win. They were pretty much all behind Hillary Clinton. So... This is a great thing, but I mean, it really comes as no surprise. If you look at the donor list, which I'll put up a graphic for it right now. So now if you look at this graphic, you'll see that Hillary's donors are uh, from banks, um, corporations, uh, media outlets. But Bernie Sanders has all union endorsements. So now if unions see that Hillary Clinton is getting $782,000 from Citigroup, why would they even bother endorsing her? Because clearly Citigroup is going to have the most time. I mean, since they've donated the most money, they're going to have the most access to her and the most sway over her policies. So what's the point of even trying? So now, one teacher's union did actually endorse Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. I can't think of the name of the union, but I mean... There was another uh, union that had actually endorsed Bernie Sanders as well. So this is fantastic. This is huge for his campaign. And I think it's going to continue and continue again. We're going to see a lot more unions jump in on the Bernie Sanders ship. Because who's excited about Hillary Clinton? I'm not. Even the people who support Hillary Clinton. Are you really excited about her campaign? Is she doing anything to that do you think, in your opinion, to galvanize the public? And get them excited. I mean, see, she recently revealed um, a plan to help student debt. But Bernie Sanders already did that months ago. So, I mean, what is it about Hillary Clinton that could p possibly excite anyone? I don't know what it is. But Bernie Sanders certainly has a lot more to offer than Hillary. And this is why he's going to continue to get these union endorsements. Jeb Bush made an interesting comment about his brother's failed war. Take a look. On the issue, in your speech, you squarely linked the rise of ISIS to the decision to not leave U.S. troops in Iraq after the surge, which a lot of people agree with you on. But isn't it also the case that had we not invaded Iraq in the first place, we wouldn't be dealing with this Iraq ISIS problem? Look, who knows? Um, I mean, this, that's just such a, a you know, complicated hypothetical. Who knows? I can't answer that. I'll tell you, though, that taking out Saddam Hussein turned out to be a pretty good deal. What he doesn't realize is that the problem was taking down Saddam Hussein, he wasn't a good guy. Let's not make no mistakes about it. Saddam Hussein was a violent dictator. He repressed Shias. But I mean, um, 
this is something that we could have perhaps addressed through sanctions or some other types of means. Invading the country was not the right answer. And furthermore, taking down Saddam Hussein destabilized the entire region. So now that allowed a lot of groups to accumulate power. And especially since we left behind all of our weapons, well, now they were able to take those weapons and now use them against us. So we're now fighting people with our own weapons. How crazy is that? So Think Progress goes over the actual costs of the Iraq war. Now, they say 4,424 American troops died. Now, this excludes the ones who returned home with PTSD and took their own lives. So that's a significant cost. Now, in addition, 319 troops from coalition partners, such as the UK, were also lost due to the Iraq War. Now, we don't even have the numbers of um, coalition partners as troops who took their own lives from PTSD. Um, and now, 115,000 total Iraqi lives were lost, and up to 500,000 died as an indirect result of war. Now, it cost us more than $1.7 trillion, and that number could swell to $6 trillion when accounting for interest rates and benefits that are being paid out to war veterans who participated in the war. Now, also, I don't need to remind you that we didn't find any weapons of mass destruction. That was a lie. That was trumped up evidence that was false. It was propaganda, and we all fell for it. Now, I'll add one more. Iraq is now basically on its way to becoming a failed state. So that's also a problem. So the cost of war, both in terms of life and how much it costs us uh, from a money standpoint, it's very, very high. And we can't let any politician, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democratic, we can't let any politician like Jeb Bush get anywhere near the White House if they're going to be willing to go to war on a moment's notice like that. Because the Iraq War was one of the most unpopular in American history, even more so than the Vietnam War. So that goes to show you that they still want to do more. I'm sure that Jeb Bush would want to expand the current war in Iraq. I'm sure that he would beef up our drone wars that we're currently having with uh, Pakistan, Somalia, and Yemen, and also Syria too. And we're currently, we're not even out of Iraq and Afghanistan. So the fact that these politicians, they're saying that we need to potentially invade Iran. They're not exactly saying it, but you know exactly that that's what they want to do. Some have said it. And come on, let's be real. Republicans want war. Some Democrats want war. Even Chuck Schumer came out against the Iranian peace deal. But look, any politician, I don't care what your party is, if you want war, you should not be able to get in the White House. Unless, unless, here's the caveat. It's for actually protecting the American people. But we can't be waging these offensive wars because one, it kills a lot of people. Two, it costs a lot of money that we can't afford. And three, because it makes us look like dicks in the international realm. Dr. Ben Carson had previously come out against using fetal tissue for scientific research. Now, he stated his disapproval of the practice uh, in the wake of the manufactured Planned Parenthood scandal where everyone was saying that they were profiting off of selling fetal tissue and fetal organs, but that wasn't the case. If you watch the video, you'll see that it was uh, the tissue was being donated and the costs being negotiated were just uh, the prices paid to transport the tissue. So even though um, donation of fetal tissue is for science reasons, this is what Dr. Ben Carson had to say about it. He called it disturbing and said people who don't even realize the callousness with which we are treating human life by utilizing fetuses for scientific research. Now, he also said that the benefits of fetal research are overpromised. So it's clear his condemnation of it is unequivocal. He's 100% against it, right? He thinks it's disturbing. He thinks that it's callous. Well, there's just one problem with that. 
BuzzFeed explains, late on Wednesday, an OBGYN and science writer Jen Gunter revealed on her blog a 1992 study in which Carson and three other colleagues used fetal tissue from the fetal brain and nasal cavity to better understand the development of the chambers or ventricles of the brain. These tissues were obtained from two fetuses aborted at the 9th and 17th week of gestation, the paper says. Now here's what he said specifically about using 17-week-old fetuses. At 17 weeks, you've got a nice little nose and little fingers and hands and the heart's beating. It can respond to environmental stimulus. How can you believe that that's just an irrelevant mass of cells? That's what they want you to believe, when in fact, it's a human being. So we see the blatant contradiction right here. Now, he responded to the releasing of this study with this statement. There is absolutely no contradiction between the research I worked on in 1992 and my pro-life views. The issue of fetal tissue has everything to do with how the tissue is acquired. My primary responsibility is that research was operating on people to obtain diseased tissue for comparison to bank tissue samples. Killing babies and harvesting tissue for sale is very different than taking a dead specimen and keeping a record of it, which is exactly the source of the tissue used in our research. Here's what he did. He tried to sidestep the criticism by alleging that these fetuses are being killed specifically for the purpose of harvesting their tissue. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. So you're telling me that a, a woman is going to get pregnant for Planned Parenthood, give up the fetus specifically for them to just sell it and make 75 bucks. She's going to go through all that for $75. If you're that desperate for money, I can think of a lot of other ways that you can actually make $75. Come on, man, that's so ridiculous. How can you believe this? Look, I have no doubt that uh, Dr. Ben Carson is intelligent, and I don't even think he buys the bullshit that he's spewing in this scenario. Look, the problem is that your true colors were revealed. You're a hypocrite. That's all it is. It's simple. But instead of coming out and saying, look, I've changed my mind. I've evolved on the matter. I no longer uh, view fetal tissue research the way that I viewed it back in 1992. Instead of just doing that, which would be logical, he had to come up with this whole conspiracy that women are just, hey, Planned Parenthood, how about um, I'll get pregnant, you can abort the fetus for me, and then when you get that $75, give me 20 and we're good. Come on, that's so preposterous. It's so ridiculous that no rational human being can believe that. None, no, not a single one. So if you believe that, you're just not rational. You're not using logic. And so I don't get how anyone could be against uh, donating fetal tissue for scientific research anyway. I mean, instead of just taking the tissue and throwing it in the garbage, why not use it to benefit science and advance the greater good? It just blows my mind. I mean, Ben Carson went full-on Rick Santorum, Donald Trump, Ted Nugent crazy here because that's not something that a rational person who's a world-renowned neuroscientist would say. It's just, it's just not. This is so unorthodox. So Ben, when it comes to your field of neuroscience, you're fantastic. We can't fault you for that. But when it comes to being a politician and politics in general, you've got to brush up on your skills because you are proving that you are a terrible candidate. Okay, so everyone knows that Scott Walker is corrupt, right? Well, new evidence has been released that 
He's just an outright criminal. So, Think Progress explains, Wisconsin Governor and Republican presidential candidate Scott Walker will sign a bill Wednesday finalizing his controversial plan to spend $250 million in state, county, and city funds, plus tens of millions more in interest and future tax breaks, on a new basketball arena for the Milwaukee Bucks. So, like, what's the problem, right? I mean, besides the fact that we're allocating tax dollars to fund sports stadiums, and that's kind of stupid, um... The problem gets a little bit more worse. So they continue. On the very day that Walker began pushing for taxpayers to foot much of the bill for the new arena, one of the team's owners donated $150,000 to his super PAC. The investor, John Hams, has donated directly to Walker's past campaigns as well, to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. And this year, Walker hired him on his national finance co-chairman. So this is one of the most explicit examples of corruption ever. Scott Walker is directly engaging in pay-to-play politics. But where's Fox News and the outrage from conservatives on this? I don't hear it. Because they've been talking about the Hillary Clinton Foundation and how with all of their donations, they've potentially been engaging in pay-to-play politics, which I don't think they're wrong on that. But the problem is that you're being hypocritical and you're not calling it out when it happens on your side. But you have to be consistent. Look, I don't like pay-to-play politics. I don't like corruption. I don't like bribery. When anybody does it, I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, it doesn't make a difference. Corruption is bad, and it's not good for our system. Think about how crazy this is. This criminal, that is Scott Walker, has consistently polled within the top five GOP candidates, and things like this happen, and nobody even cares about it. He's still polling well. How does this not automatically disqualify him from the race? It blows my mind. I don't get it. Somebody has to explain to me why this is the case. It doesn't seem rational to vote for someone who's going to get an office and benefit himself. This just shows why we really need to get money out of politics. Let me give you guys a little bit of an example here. So I donated a total of $10 to President Barack Obama's campaign, $5 in 2008, 5 in 2012. Now, someone named Tom Wheeler, a guy you may or may not know, he donated a total of $700,000 to both of Barack Obama's campaigns, $200,000 in 2008 and um, $500,000 in 2012. Now, one of us was given a job by Obama. One of us later became appointed as the uh, head of the FCC. Can you guess which one? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't the dude who hosts the Humanist Report whose name rhymes with Schmike Wigoredo. <laughs> it's not that guy. As you guessed, it was the guy who gave $700,000 because my $10 didn't go very far. The bottom line is that there should be condemnation on both sides of the aisle. Both Democrats and Republicans should be condemning Scott Walker for this because this is a brazen example of corruption. It's a brazen example of him engaging in pay-to-play politics. And I don't see how he can still run and not have the other candidates challenge him. But do you want to know why they're not challenging him? Because they're also corrupt. So hopefully Donald Trump, which seems to be the voice of reason on the matter of money and politics, will hopefully call him out and make him look bad on this because it blows my mind that this isn't going to be used against him probably by the other candidates because they don't want to make themselves look bad as well. So look, you can call out Hillary Clinton for engaging in pay-to-play politics. I'm right there with you. But do the same thing for Scott Walker. We don't want anyone to do this. So if we name and shame them, hopefully it will discourage them a little bit. Probably not, but we just got to make it known that this is not okay. Well, that's our show. Um... 
another jam-packed episode that was really difficult to fit it all into an hour. Um, but uh, again, I just want to thank all of my viewers. And as usual, I want to welcome all of my newest viewers to the channel because our, sub our subscriber count has been going up so high lately that it's really blowing my mind right now because... We started this in uh, June. I think it was June 18th was our first podcast. And if you would have told me that we would have grown this fast, then I would have thought you were crazy. So look, welcome to the channel. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you guys next week.